everyone, we're back from taking a break in August. Hope that all of you had a very refreshing summer and a very refreshing month of August. And here we are with a new episode recorded with our dear friends Anchor and Amrita. Now, we introduced them to crypto and especially Bitcoin a year and a half ago. And their journey with learning and understanding this tech has been incredibly rewarding to us to watch because of their unending curiosity and the perspective that they, they shine upon it and the questions that they ask us and the discussions that we have. So in this episode, we had them on, we talked about essentially their perspective and explored the philosophies that they have developed around learning about money and value, hence the name of the episode. Um, so this was such um, a mind-bending episode and interview to record because of the ideas that we discussed and we incredibly we thoroughly enjoyed them and we had incredible conversations so i'm very excited for you to listen to these conversations as well as always if you have thoughts and comments we love hearing from you so Send us an email at readyatgofullcrypto.com with your thoughts on what you thought of this episode or find us anywhere on social media and um, and share your comments with us. So that's that. Without further ado, let's begin the episode. The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Margakshi Palwi, and the guests on the GoFull Crypto podcast are solely their own and are not intended as financial advice. The content discussed is for informational purposes only. Hello, Ankur and Amrita. How are you guys doing? We're doing lovely. Yeah, How are we are you guys? doing good. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's so good to actually have you in the space and have you talk about the experiences that you have had with crypto so far, you for everyone who's listening, Ankur and Amrita are dear friends of ours. They are also artists and very talented individuals in their own careers, uh, which we may or may not get into during this podcast, but um, they are very philosophical with the way that they think. And um, their journey with crypto has been so wonderful to watch because of and their, to be a part of and to be a part of and because of their curiosity and the way that they absorb things and the way that they question uh, some of the things that we've talked about. So just the kind of questions that you come up with, too. Yeah, I just so, never would expect some of them. And it's a it's a joy to answer them. Yeah. So we wanted to have them on to discuss crypto and art because it is related for both of you. That is true. And yeah, I mean, our interest in cryptocurrency definitely began with you guys. Yeah. Because um, everyone else who probably has approached with that topic to us, we were very skeptical because that's how I feel most people who are from outside crypto would react to the words Bitcoin or blockchain, and I'm like, okay, that's too futuristic, too idealistic. It's not uh, uh, going to be a reality, which I suspect is how most of the people who enter into this sphere today also react to you guys. Like people who are complete outsiders would probably have a little bit of skepticism, or at least that's how our reaction to it was. Lots of skepticism. Yeah, which is good. I think that skepticism is actually very valuable in today's time, not only for crypto, but essentially anything, because, you know, you can't really believe everything that you read on the news. 
So practicing skepticism is healthy for me for anything. So actually, let's just um, give our audience an overview of when crypto was introduced to both the both of you via your friends and how Keegan and I sort of became part of that journey for you. So Amrita, when was the first time you heard of Bitcoin? Uh, so I was listening about this new currency, which is cryptocurrency. And then I heard about this terminology of blockchain and it got me curious. And when we, in 2018, we moved from India to Halifax. And when I was looking for a job, I came across a company called Kraken. And I was up, uh, so I was interviewed for that company and I got to know about cryptocurrency and crypto market and trading and different aspect about cryptocurrency itself and uh, that was that time also I felt really really interesting about this new type of currency and so I was curious about it but it was not uh, it it is just like more related to job not uh, actually active taking part into it but as we met you guys and we got to know more about it its philosophy who made it how it has its history and so many different aspects about it and from that point our journey has started and it has been really really wonderful wonderful journey and you uh, I'm learning we both are learning so many things from you guys and Keegan writes this beautiful article with lot of information. Muruga always share different information about apps, what is going on. And I really enjoy that process. Uh, that was awesome. That yeah, was like a little marketing for sorry. us too. No, no, thank <laughs> you. too long. No, 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 no. That was awesome. We, it was also not a promotion for Kraken, but shout out Kraken <laughs> anyway. So 2018 was when your introduction to blockchain and crypto hmm. uh, was for the first time. I actually remember we met at the library for the first time because of our mutual friend. And you both were very curious to know about how you can put your art on blockchain hmm. and um, make it unique in that sense. I feel like that's when the ideas of NFTs uh, with respect to your art being an NFT was was seeded. And Years later, it was it actually grew out into something which we'll get to later. But so, Ankur, uh, is 2018 when you heard about blockchain and crypto too? So I had heard about the concept before, but it was like something just floating in my awareness. And honestly speaking, even today, if I don't visit the literature on blockchain and cryptocurrency for a few weeks, I I have to like get back to the basics to kind of understand what what the idea is all about because. It's it's a very dynamic field. It's also happening at the bleeding edge of changing paradigms in economics, in computer science, computer science, and the applications are being tested and thought about and developed on a day to day, week to week, month to month basis. So I was aware of it and. I think when someone said or we saw a documentary um, on Bitcoin that on Netflix, I believe that was part of your preparation for that interview, yes, right? Interview, yeah. And 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 I was like, yeah, this is this is really very progressive. If the world has to adopt an electronic kind of a, a currency or digital currency, this would be how it would happen. Is how I had. <laughs> kind of viewed the future looking back now. So yeah, the concept was floating around. Um, and I believe that 
it has been alluded to in science fiction before that too. Like people were talking about cryptography and the whole cyberpunk movement kind of gets into it. We are big Matrix fans and mm -hmm. uh, the idea of information as a currency has been like hinted in a lot of these science fiction themes. So the idea was floating around. And when we started talking with you, obviously there was this initial tension where uh, our, our skepticism made us like, oh, this, this <laughs> seems like, uh, you know, all the common criticisms that you would probably be facing, that this is a Ponzi scheme, this is a... The government will shut it down, yeah, it's bad for the environment. These guys are deluded into thinking that this is going to, you know, like... It's uh, so it's it's an initial reaction that I think the brain constructs because... A, this is very counterintuitive as a concept. B, as we are all painfully aware, it is still not established, but that's because it has its own evolutionary trajectory that yeah. it is unfolding. So there's a lot of long-term thinking. There's a lot of big picture thinking that is involved in it. There's a lot of new way of thinking and giving up old ways of, of envisioning our economics that is involved over here. And it's very complex because the topic of money and currency and then computer science, you're, you're combining extremely complicated areas and looking at the intersections of these. So even today, uh, I'm okay with, we, we both are comfortable with investing in Bitcoin, but I don't think we have the, the kind of gumption that you guys have to go full crypto because that's still a very new idea. Like it's, yeah, it's, it a, it's a big, big, uh, bold step. So we definitely admire the experiment that you're, you have, you know, taken on. And we know that your journey is more of a, of a, an ideological adventure that you are that's on. That's true too. Yeah. Uh, but, um, from outside, it's still something that people, even like us who are open to the concept and curious, it's still very um, counterintuitive. And um, I want it to work is, is what I should you know, end yeah. with. I, I really want it to work. What, what's it? Like the go full crypto experiment or just Bitcoin in general? Well, the go full crypto experience is a statement on what you believe in, in the larger movement of, of cryptocurrency and uh, Bitcoin in particular. So I feel what I meant by it to work is that I do believe that we need to move from older paradigms of um, how we look at money and how we use money to newer paradigms. And I believe that basing it in computational technology, basing it on proof of work kind of concepts that are, um, you know, that are mathematical in nature and that take out the human bias could definitely offer us not a utopian solution because I am also convinced that it is not a utopian solution. Yeah, right. It, it is, it's still That's all, worth it stating, actually. <laughs> right. It all boils down to how human beings responsibly deal with this, this technology. It's like any technology. It's double-edged sword. How do we make a mature application out of it? It's, um, it, 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 these are some of the questions that I constantly process when I think about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. One thing I love about the both of you is you think of it from such a multi-dimensional um, state, 
look at crypto, look at Bitcoin, look at um, cryptocurrencies, not simply from the aspect of, oh, this is going to make me more money someday or this is going to grow my money at X rate. You're, you also are willing to and readily explore the philosophical impacts that opting into this sort of money has. So I want to actually bring it back to, or not back to, but bring it to talking about money in general, because from your perspective, you, you folks have grown up in a very different environment than we have. And there obviously are some cultural aspects of being able to talk openly about money. So when we first met and we, we the, the, uh, both of us were just talking about crypto and Bitcoin in particular and talking about money in such an open and free way, how were you, um, how did you approach talking about money when we introduced that to you? Do you want to take that? I mean, both of you can, because... I could start and maybe... Yeah, sure. Yeah. So for both of us, for me particularly, and I'm, I'm, I've literally come around the whole concept of money in the past decade or so. Come, come around in what sense? In the sense that I've started paying attention to it and oh. even started, uh, you know, uh, thinking about it in a slightly more uh, mature way. Because all my life I've been very... Uh, money has been in the background of what I see as reality. I mean, it's an important thing, but it's, a, it's just as important as, you know, drinking water or, you know, eating food. It kind of starts going into the background. And um, I, I don't think I've ever been of a mindset where I wanted to be very rich or I had kind of decided that money is the ultimate goal of life. And I was just in, involved with lots of other things in, in my life. So when I, sh I started thinking about money in a serious way a little later in my life, um, I realized, A, the power that, um, I mean, it was obvious, but I, I kind of arrived at that confirmation in my own head that, yeah, this, this, this you know, it's, it's important to be responsible with money. It's important to have that resource working for you rather than against you. And it is certainly limiting to have less of money if your desires and your wants are more. So also you're actually penalized a lot of the time for having less money. Right. Like our current financial systems are structured in such a way that if you, it's expensive to be poor. Oh yeah. yeah. And it's a, it's a it's a perpetual cycle. So the the younger me who was, you know, on the journey to be some kind of a monastic existence away from monetary kind of um, the monetary material world, which I kind of ignored for a long time in my life because my head was up in the the clouds of asking bigger questions of what is the meaning of life and, you know, what is the nature of the universe? And in all of that, it just seemed like things like money just seemed very trivial and I was just not paying attention for it for a long time. So it, it comes across as very conceited now when I when I say it like that, but it just was, you know, my, my journey in my own way. Um, so I'm just going to you know put it out there unapologetically. But when I started understanding uh, what money is, the first thing was I, I, I've always been confused about the concept. Can you give a definition? Could you like put it in a box if you had to? Or it's hard. It is because hard. when I compared it to food and water, it's still not a fair comparison uh, because food and water are biological necessities. If I don't have water for a long time, or if I don't eat for a long time, I'm going to notice the absence of the significance of this this source of nourishment in my life. Money is an indirect method to get to those things. So now, well, 
Okay, let's let's back up a little it's bit. It's one indirect method. Right. Yes. Let's let's back up to why human beings use money or why we created money or why we are the only animal that uses this abstract form of currency to build our world. I have always been trying to grapple with these questions when I started my own journey in understanding the importance of money in my life. Otherwise, it was something that I had taken for granted. I was paying my taxes. I was paying my bills. I was incurring debt when I was a grad student. Um, I was understanding the, you know, how my degrees of freedom are limited when I have less of money. And so when I became a little bit more pragmatic in my life and my thinking about things, it, it certainly seemed that it's, 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 it's how things are right now. The question of why human beings made money is just going to be as enigmatic and as as mysterious as why human beings made technology, why human beings created language. Mm-hmm. These are all questions that cannot be arrived at with certitude to you know say that oh well this this explains everything and so now let's get along and you know just work with it. These are still unsolved problems. We don't understand them well. That's why people in economics, people in in Bitcoin, people in social sciences, people who are working in politics are trying to figure out what is the best way to run our society. And money is certainly a very important component of that. It's a super important ingredient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're... <laughs> I, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place. No, no, not... Well, um, I like how you move the timeline on your understanding of money from 10 years ago when you actually started looking at it and then brought us through the journey of how you started thinking of how money came into existence in the first place, going way back when we decided it was time to find something that can um, connect us through this fabric of money to, uh, to in order to get amenities like or resources like food and water. So that was a very interesting journey through you understanding what money is. And I, I wanted to ask you this question, which is when you, in, when you discovered Bitcoin and when you went through the journey of understanding what kind of money Bitcoin is, how did your understanding of what money was latch on to your understanding of Bitcoin? Oh, I certainly recognize this as a more smarter way of using money. And that's why I, I still bring forth the caveat that it all depends on how it is used because human beings will find a way to manipulate and take advantage of any game that they set up. The, all the winners will always be tempted to change the game in their favor. So whether it's talk, we are talking about fiat currency or whether we're talking about Bitcoin, that potential exists. So I wanted to make that caveat clear. But when I compare my understanding of fiat with my understanding of blockchain and cryptocurrency and particularly Bitcoin, because that was an entire progression. For me, everything was like, well, everything used in blockchain is cryptocurrency. And so all cryptocurrencies are alike. And to move from that to understanding the uniqueness of Bitcoin as a prototypical currency was also a journey of, you know, getting into a new concept. Um, I'm glad that you, you said that, actually, because that's a progression that I see a lot of people get caught up in and stuck in a lot of the time. And I use the word stuck because, um, well, from a biased perspective that Bitcoin is like, we share this thought that it's a prototypical currency or it's unique and it's set aside from all other cryptocurrencies that will ever come simply 
because it is first and for a couple of other reasons as well. But it, it's uh, it's worth coming back to that as much as we can, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> would love to because we would like to hear what you have to say about it because it's a concept that I still try to um, um, explain others um, and, and, and I struggle with that idea. Well, but there are some very uh, clear-cut reasons that I've heard you speak about. Um, uh, and and I think those those will be worthwhile points to bring into this discussion. But I wanted to kind of pass the 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 baton to Amrita as well before we. Uh, For you know. sure. So I want you to think of the skepticisms that arose when you started thinking of Bitcoin as money and latching the principles that you learned of money right. with respect to Bitcoin. So think on those skepticisms. I want to hear Amrita your journey of how money became significant to you. Because, I mean, you know, all four of us sitting here, I don't think that, at least for, for me, I didn't think of money the way I think of money now. It just seemed like something that existed, something that you had to work for, something that you got if you produce some sort of work. And the significance and the importance and um, its history, the history of how it came to be and how it is used today, all of that... I was curious about only after, you know, Keegan, you and I went on this journey of learning about how Bitcoin can be useful to us or not, at least for me, when I was thinking about it from a skeptical point of view. So, yes, think on the skepticisms. Amrita, how was your journey? How does, how does your mon- journey of money and understanding money start? So I would not say it is really unique journey. It is just like a common person's journey. You it is in your family you understand okay there is a something as you growing up there is a money and you pay something you get something then you pay uh, for college you pay for different things maybe buying clothing whatever it is just like day-to-day transition you do with money that is the simple concept i understood about money and uh but Overall, I like to read about history, statistic, economics. So it always has, uh, has given me really different kind of a perspective about its evolution, how it came into the picture, because it should not be there. Because if I'm just bot- using bartering system, if I'm just exchanging the stuff with you guys, then I don't need money. But we have created this game of monopoly. And there are good players, bad players. Their players are trying to be good and nice as well. So all people are included in the system. This is socio-political system. And about when Bitcoin comes into the picture, it is more like uh, one newer version of this economy, uh, economical system, because it is adding new technology. And it is adding new transaction system, new thought process. So there are different kinds of pointers it is giving us uh, to think about it and the way we transact with each other. So it is changing way of thinking itself as well as Bitcoin has Bitcoin, not I would not say Bitcoin, but blockchain has its own beauty. It, it connects with art. There are some researchers, they talk about blockchain technology as an artistic technology. It is not just programming itself, the complexity it has and simplicity it has at the same time because the blocks uh, get approved if there is a lot of people are on the blockchain who is creating transaction. But if there are less people who are processing blocks, still it is 
it is actually optimizing itself and that is the beauty itself of that transition post process maybe there are some words i am not using properly oh, i think you did a great uh, job oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because i don't know in really technical terminologies but whatever i have read and so the way i feel it is really really advanced technology and uh, nowadays it is used by different purposes just like maybe means tesla used to sell their car by using bitcoins but now he's they are not but still it is in terms of nfts and nowadays you can get visa card just like crypto.com has it and so really different variety of stuff is coming into the picture and people are able to think about variety of stuff how they can create money how they can use money which kind of money how they can understand money itself and what kind of a format they want to use in their daily life so it has given so many pointers to think about about economics itself that's so interesting you talk about how the power to create money has now been given to the people hmm. uh, which is something that i hadn't really thought of specifically until until you just mentioned it because well central banks i would say the the latest group of people um or governments to really put a bird's eye view on it have been the um arbiters of deciding um the the amount of total supply of the whatever currency for that government and now because of blockchain technology and because of the ease of creation of different kinds of investments and different kinds of money for those who see a particular cryptocurrency as money it is it is the power of the people that can decide whether or not something is money or not or something can be created as a currency or not and i'm i feel like i'm just putting this out here i feel like some people might have a problem with that uh with that way of thinking of oh well you know everyday people should not have the power to decide what is currency Well some people would go so far as to say that cryptocurrencies aren't currencies because they're not created by governments like only like money's only money if it's created by a internationally sovereign state. Yeah, but I don't think that the base understanding of money is understood in arguments like that <laughs> right. which is money is a belief system. Money so, has always been a belief system. And I think uh the main thing it has uh given us is that choice. Yes. What kind of a choice you want to do means i can do any choice i want to do but it has given us freedom okay i understood this particular technology i believe on this technology so maybe i will go for it and it has its own disadvantages like people talk about environment uh, it is harming to environment and all those things but still we are in the process and we are in the journey so we don't know exactly what is happening So recently I have heard when card get manufactured 50% pollution has already done because of that manufacturing process itself so that was a new for me and when I understood that thing then I realized okay so just taking a car and roaming around it is not just creating pollution it has already done his 50% work of pollution pollution itself so there are so many different points to consider here it is not just one way or another way there are spectrum of things we can think about it i i feel that one another you know perspective on that environmental um, angle is that it's also forcing those who passionately want to advance blockchain and cryptocurrency it's also 
kind of making us think about solutions around you know solving environmental problems how can we create technologies that don't have such a huge carbon footprint how can we create technologies that would help us to uh you know reduce the environmental damage so i don't think that that's front of mind for everything though because just like you said about the whole car um manufacturing of cars I think manufacturing of phones, manufacturing of any everything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We human beings are like that. We are creating pollution. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's it's not just for Bitcoin. What what I mean to say is that it has opened up the conversation for thinking about better energy production means across the spectrum, not just in terms of Bitcoin. Any sector. The the, the sector. fact that we do talk about environment is an important discussion to bring to the table. Right. Because whether we talk about it from the perspective of manufacturing cars or phones or running blockchain, regardless of what the the application is, the fact that it opens up the dialogue on environmental issues is is what I feel is significant. I think that that's going to come and go to be honest because I remember seeing a snippet of news when I think it was in the 2000s after the dot com bubble burst that um there was i remember it was a snippet and i'm not going to remember it word for word but it was essentially saying that oh, all of these computers running servers in order to host the internet requires a lot of electricity and um as a result of that amount of usage of electricity it is um, emitting a lot of pollutants in the air and I mean, before that, ever since we started um, the industrial age, any sort of industry emits a lot of pollutants simply because of the fact that they need use of electricity and use of raw materials that they need to then convert into whatever else. So I'm, if we looked at snippets of news, I think in the past century even, we're going to see how the invention of anything and the innovation of something in particular has um, arisen uh, new segments on oh my gosh this is going to be bad for the environment because it's polluting the groundwater it's polluting the the rivers it's polluting the ocean and i don't even if it has brought that conversation to the front of mind i don't think that anything has necessarily been done immediately to that particular industry in order to curb it so oh for sure yeah yeah i mean it's the same thing that these systems have been in place for such a long time that there is, first of all, a political clarity that needs to be brought in in policymaking that would that's one element of it. And the second is, do we think about our technologies in a dramatically new way to to kind of create them with the cognizance of what kind of environmental impact it would have? Like there are I can't think of any examples, but I'm sure there are people who genuinely are trying to work on the science that would help us to shift that paradigm because we never always used technologies that cause burden on the planet in fact i think we did well not always <laughs> well we terraform and we've always been terraforming yeah i mean agriculture is a great example of of how things began so the so what what i mean by that is there was a point in our species history where the dynamics between what human beings did and the rest of nature was much more homeostatic and there was an equilibrium involved over there. When we talk about the, the history of the past couple of hundred years, or let's say even starting from the Industrial Revolution and then the past few decades, we're looking at an undeniable acceleration in, in the kinds of technologies we are making. And the speed at which all these changes are happening are so fast 
and accelerating at such a fast, rapid pace that very few people who call the shots are in a position to make dramatic changes in the system. It's like, well, we we started this machine. We don't know how to turn it off, <laughs> adjust it. We don't know how to equilibrate it. We don't know how to calibrate it. So if you think about it from that point of view, I mean, I don't mean to sound apocalyptic, but but <laughs> human beings are in a precarious situation with everything that we do, not because we are we are essentially unintelligent, but we probably need to have a very deep look at our assumptions and philosophical notions of what we are doing whenever we create anything new in the 21st century. We can't be applying the same mindset that was applied by the people from the industrial revolution age who didn't see what the impact of industrialization was going to be 100 years into the future. The, the generations who are working on technologies today need to consider that kind of long-term view. If we think the same way that people 200 years ago were thinking about, then then that 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 very painful, you know, maxim about history that we are doomed to repeat it. It's a very sad statement on a species that came down from the trees and shot to the moon. <laughs> so it's 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 very. I would say we as a species need to be a little bit more. Uh, mature in our, our so I'm gonna try and thread a needle here and just bring this back around to what uh, something that Amrita said as well and and that is you said that we now have a freedom or the choice to choose the money that you get paid in or that you use to transact with and who you tr choose to transact with because we can now transact with anyone on the planet uh, who has an internet connection and I'm like to the whole environmental discussion and, and that uh, those are the, this is the needle here. So with, with like money is our, our economic operating system, whatever money we're using at any particular point in time kind of installs a belief system, the belief system of money into us. And we kind of inherit some properties of that, of whatever money has been installed upon us in the first place. So when we have a, a money with an infinite supply, it, it forces us into short-term thinking and it forces us away from long-term thinking. And short-term thinking ends up uh, rewarding the uh, like immediacy. So when we build inventions or build uh, the next industrial whatever, we, we typically build it with the present in mind and sometimes, you know, thinking maybe 20, 30, 40 years into the future. But at this point in human civilization, if we don't start thinking 200 years into the future, there's not going to be a 200 right. years in the yeah. future. That is for I agree. sure. Yeah, yeah. And that's so, what is precarious about our situation in the 21st century, for sure. Yeah. And the last thing that I wanted to, to, to tie the thread now is uh, that we now have the ability to install our own monetary operating system. And so even though that I'm a, I'm a Bitcoiner, I support anyone's uh, choice, let's say, to install whatever monetary belief system they want to. If they think Nano's the next big hot thing and if they think Ethereum's great, then like go for it. That's your choice and your, your freedom as a, as a person to choose the money that, best represent, that you think best represents your values as an individual. It's not, it's not really incumbent upon me to be able to tell you otherwise, really. But if someone was to come to you to ask you your advice... Oh, you should buy Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> That's investment okay. advice. 
<laughs> All right then. Well, there's a disclaimer. At the end By the way, is, yeah. follow it at your own risk. Uh, but it's definitely investment advice. Is it though? Because you don't really think of Bitcoin as an investment. Yeah, I know it's tongue in cheek at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, think about the people who bought it at like dirt cheap prices in you know 2010 or something like that, and those who actually cashed in on it. For them, it was a great investment. So when we say what is an investment. Everything is an investment. This conversation we are having is an investment. An investment of our time. Yeah. yeah. So we, we are all investing something or the other and we make mistakes and we, you know, cash in on some other investments that we make. I wanted to circle this all back to what is value, because when we talk about money, we're still talking about something very specific. But there's a lot of discussion on tokenization that is heard in the cryptoverse um, and art. When we talk about tokenization of art is is a very interesting conversation on how do you evaluate the price of art and how do you protect that value in a system that fairly gives the creator of the art the returns for what they're making and yet allows the art to spread with the same freedom that anyone who plagiarizes art or you know uh, uses piracy means to, to to spread art is is having so the whole concept of nfts uh, excites both of us for that yes. particular point of view, particularly because we we do create a lot of digital media, and um, there's always that uh, that that inner insecurity about how it's going to be misused and how <laughs> is it? Are we getting the value for creating that art? Um, musicians feel that they're undervalued. Write, <laughs> yeah, people who write books feel that. So I feel that there's a promise with some of the applications of blockchain technology to potentially create ecosystems in which there is a more fairer distribution of value, which is what excites me about cryptocurrency, blockchain, NFT, or any of these concepts. But again, I, I'm, I completely admit that I don't understand these things to any kind of level of expertise because A, they're complex, and B, they're changing as we speak. Did you guys know that yesterday a, a, a picture of a rock sold for $1.3 million? I'm not surprised anymore. If you would have said this to me like two years ago, I'm like, what? I think there are invisible sculptures. There was an invisible sculpture. So, yeah, that's true. Uh, since that a... point, I have decided, okay. Yeah, I mean, we are sitting in art right now, invisible art, which we are not... We know. are not selling. Yeah. So the, 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 these are very tricky questions about how we evaluate something and how we assign value. Okay, well, so value. Murgi, you want to say something? Go for well, it. the assignment of value, I think, is dependent on two parties. Um, and I, I also want to introduce the aspect of technology deflation here because what the internet did um, is the ability to spread information faster than we could before. And building these protocols on top of the internet what um, the ability to create art and sell art on the internet has done is, well, for one, it has allowed the artists such as you two to set the price that you want to set in order to get for your art without any third parties doing that for you. Now, the third parties do come into play here when you want to put up your art on a sort of marketplace. So if it's not directly on your website, which could also be thought of as a third party, um, it, you're still art selling your art through someone else because there's 
no way to there's no peer-to-peer or through something else a lot of the time yeah there's always a medium because there's no peer-to-peer direct art exchange or direct music exchange and uh with respect to technology deflation on the one hand you do have the ability to set the price for your art yourself and on the other so do every other artist who has the (laughs) uh, who has the ability to do the same thing as you so with the way that technology is progressing there's um, you know, at it's the, the number of artists that are able to um, possibly list their art and sell it is scaling at a very, very fast pace. And, you know, how does that relate to the freedom that you just received in order to be able to directly set your art? So that's a very interesting, I think, discussion. Well, there's an analogy right here. There. It's the dot-com bubble, right? We're all super euphoric in the year 1999 through to 2000, uh, or 1998 to 2000, when the dot-com bubble was, and every single person and their dog had a website, and they were all worth so much money temporarily, right? So everyone at the same time got got their ability to have their own website and put whatever they want, videos, texts, pictures on it. And that was insane, right? For everyone involved. And yeah, it looks very similar what's happening with the, the NFT marketplace. And Well, now everybody and their dog has an Instagram account. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So literally, that's totally, totally all together. It, 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 we, we all have a platform uh, and it's, 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 it's interesting, isn't it? Like, Especially with the internet, the the democratization philosophy behind the internet is not really what we expected it in right. the heydays, right. right? I mean, we we are living in a world none of us kind of saw coming, and I think we still don't see it coming in many ways. Most of us, I don't think nobody we ever has. Can. We we can. <laughs> And what has happened is because the rate of information pumped into the world is happening at a very fast pace and the amount of information that is pumped into the world is more than ever because we're talking about all collective knowledge now being digitized and available and shared at high speeds. So there's this awesome statistic, right? Isn't it that like the amount of information being put on the internet in the last six months is greater than the total amount of information yes. that we put on in all of human history up to the last right, six months. Right. Or it's, don't take the Something six like months. this, yeah, yeah, exactly. Something yeah, yeah, yeah. astronomical just, yeah. like that. Something yeah. that basically makes us in a situation where we are running and the faster we run, the farther the destination moves. Some kind of a really twisted, tripped out kind of a situation <laughs> where where it seems like we really need to understand what's going on. And, and, I, and that's why I keep coming down to, to more basic philosophical questions about how aware are we about what's going on. So the, well, the I think con- Bitcoin really helps us understand what's going on. I, I feel so too. Because With it, money, specifically. No, no, no I think it, it helps. With economics, it, it, like it trade. It moves beyond just money, I feel. Because by... by inadvertently by getting into money it has kind of gotten into our psyche in a slightly different way Uh, when you grow up thinking of all value in terms of dollars or in terms of indian rupees or or the euro that's that's how you evaluate value yeah that's like it's uh it's not just money it's also how you were trained to think of money what what you call money matters 
if you lived in Venezuela and you had a Bolivar and that then it's hyperinflated away from you, the way that you perceive the world is much different than someone who is used to, who lives in America, who has $1 equals $1 and everyone else's currency is floating around that $1 equals $1. It's a, it is a, it's a mindset. It's an operating system. It's your value operating system. It, it yeah. calls directly into the question, uh, what do you, def- how do you define value? And what do you define value as? Which is a question that Murga asked <laughs> like 15 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. And it's not an easy question to answer. It's a super hard it's a, question. It's a super hard question. Even uh, a big, um, uh, you know, lecture series on economics would not <laughs> satisfy, uh, you know, curious minds to get or you know a good grip on this yeah well do you think that that is because it is belief dependent and then belief depends that's on one the aspect of people making that trade yeah yeah that is one aspect of it for sure like, values in the eye of the yes, beholder yes <laughs> yes definitely that is that the fact that it is based on collective belief and you know sustaining that belief that is one aspect of i've it. got like three definitions here for you so values in the eye of the beholder so is beauty beauty's in the eye of the beholder therefore value is what you find beautiful. And another way to say that is value is what you want. So you want the things that you value. <laughs> and that determines actually how you live and act, how you act and how you behave in the world. Because how you would value it and how you would price to acquire it. Yeah, exactly. If I value a car, let's say a Ferrari, how do I orient my life around that objective of obtaining what I value? And if you value a degree, then you're going to take on debt because if you need to go to school and and if you value a host, you're going to take on debt. So you're actually willing to sacrifice for what you value. And if you want a relationship, then you're going to, that's what you value. And money might not be important to you, which is actually, I think, how most people, like the conclusion that most people arrive at is money is not the thing that they value. It's the relationship through it or mm. their time or yeah, what yeah. they get through it. Absolutely. It's a means to an end, but not the end itself. It's <laughs> it's so funny when, when like, if you use the word most people, it's, it's, I know, I know. it's, it's a fears. policy. It's for sure. We all use it so <laughs> carelessly. There's literally no, except our, we four all people. <laughs> and, and this is a great most example people. of echo chambers in the age of the internet, right? We are the four of us are sitting here in yeah, a room and then we, t- we talk with this imaginary audience who's listening to, and then we talk about imaginary oh, they're out there. Know, statistic out there, but, um, you know who you are. Yeah. Most people. So actually, you know, talking about in quotes, most people. Amrita, I know that you are a lover of data. Uh, when you talk about data, I, your eyes light up, your it's face true. lights up, and you you love you love determining something from data that uh, was that one was unable to determine before having access to that much data. So, knowing that um, you have this passion for data and um, talking, bringing it back to, I guess, talking about value and talking about. Bitcoin in, in particular, what sort of curiosities have you, um, you know, been led to discover or explore by uh, connecting data and Bitcoin? And if you could, you know, throw in value creation in there somewhere, <laughs> that'd be great too. So the way I think about Overall, cryptocurrency, not only Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, it is almost parallel system for money system. 
So before uh, cryptocurrency trading, there was a stock trading. And if you see the pattern between stock trading and cryptocurrency trading, it is the same. The statistic rules you are applying, those are the same. The equation you can see in between two trades means it is not fixated, but it is more like a pattern you can observe in those transactions between day-to-day -day trading patterns. And so value is more like, again, what you are looking for it. If someone is trading money, then he is looking for money. Someone is trading for cryptocurrency, he is looking for cryptocurrency. But if I want to see through my eyes, I like to see how psychology is getting affected, how psychology is affecting this whole market system itself how someone thinks about something and it attracts it becomes a strange attractor and because of that strange attractor people get attracted towards that particular maybe news maybe thought process maybe some kind of a focus on some particular coin or some particular industry and then market changes so literally here you see relation between psychology and how data is changing through that psychology. So it is more like an observation of human psyche and human data. If you were to put yourself in that place though, how have you observed yourself change with the, when you have received the data that you have about value creation and cryptocurrency in general? So when I was a uh, little bit, when I started my career, I started with uh, this uh, company called India Bulls and I was uh, working there as a, I was working there and I was seeing how people are trading there. And that trading was, stocks? Trading stocks. So that was the pattern I was looking for there. I mean, how people are reacting to whole market situation coming, uh, going up, coming down and how they are taking their decision, how they are involved through their emotion, through their money. Some people are really, really hyper because of that whole melodramatic expression of uh, overall situation. And then I left that part. Then my career literally started as a in database means in IBM mainframe database management project and it was more like a functional data where you can see uh, okay this uh, store is collecting all this data and this store has this uh, this store has somewhere outlet which is selling something and how they are tracking the data it is really functional database you can see the connection between whatever material you have and whatever you are selling and how they are managing that business. And similar jobs I have done related to databases. And then when I came across this cryptocurrency, then I again get back to those old memories where I have seen people, they are tra uh, trading with stock. And that again, data, data patterns, how emotions are coming into the picture. And this time I get the chance to jump into that. <laughs> you get so, to be the person who is making yeah, the trades. Yeah, to experience it uh, firsthand, to experience, okay, what is happening? Uh, how this red candle is showing up, why there is a green candle and why, what is the reason behind it? How can see how there is a difference between four hour shot and eight hour shot and why it is like that? Why there is no, uh, there is a similarities, why it is not? 
and how you can catch that difference means that will be a more like a really practical way to look at it how you are catching the difference and making the money but it is more about thinking about statistics how mathematics is working how this whole technology itself is driving this human psyche so there are different levels to it <laughs> so were you able to use the data that you had available to you and separate perhaps your emotion from that data and be able to be able to take use it to your advantage when you were trading cryptocurrency uh you can't <laughs> taking the emotion out or use the data emotion out. okay so let's just say that the emotion was still there but knowing that you had experience yes through data you definitely there is a some means there are so many information available on internet people are talking about it it is not just what i understood it is more like there is a 1% of ratio people can observe they can trade around they can start with really gaining 10 dollars then they start with 100 then as you get invest more and more they can gain more but it is really really uh, it is a game after all yeah. you cannot always bet and win it but you can get closer to it okay these are the speculation these are my studies but that whole study is also not all the time perfect you can get to close to perfection but you cannot be perfect i don't but think perfection can exist in trading yes. or in anything but anything. but i i really wanted to uh, the, what you said about the psyche is yeah. a great point to loop into because when we talk about economics whenever we talk about anything related to human activity and human endeavors we're talking about human psyche and we're talking about the human mindset we're talking about human mindset in a complex context like collective context so when we think of stock market fluctuations it is a manifestation of collective psyche interacting with this dynamic phenomenon called the market and the society and every day is new just like every day for an individual is new every day for the collective is new and there's a readout of that in these kind of systems that measure stock market changes and then the data that you're seeing makes certain players invest on that phenomenon like what you said with some kind of a risk benefit kind of a calculation where some of it is probably just gambling like just based on luck and some of it is intelligent decision making process based on understanding what's going on but some of you, it's market manipulation some of hmm. yeah some of it is market manipulation but all of these dimensions are fundamentally rooted in what the human mind is doing so if if we were an alien observing all human activity going on and just trying to understand like absolutely <laughs> Well, yeah, every day there is all this activity taking place on Wall Street and then there is all this reaction taking place and if I was an alien studying all this data under a microscope I would say that well where is the signal coming from and there it is somewhere beyond all this data locked between the ears of these creatures is a mechanism that is making all of this happen on both an individual but as well as a collective, collective. Uh, level simultaneously and it, these are these are like two sides of the same coin the collective and the individual because there's no collective without individuals and the individuals are defined by you the know collective. the collective what do you think the purpose of of this activity that is the market let's oh, just if i knew that i mean i would probably be you know well let me let oh, me pause it something I, then i think so too but go for it yeah, yeah i'm sorry i meant to have an answer but go for it it's 
to update the price of things. I was actually going to say it is to get what you want out of it. So when you were looking... I think that's you- actually saying, saying similar things. You have to know the price of things in order to get the thing that you want out of the system. Okay, I guess that might be too... I think both are required because um, you may not necessarily want to know what the price of something is if you had a goal to sell you know or make that trade at a particular price and this is specifically talking about trading but bringing back to um you know like how we perceive value it is based on what you want to get out of something Mm -hmm. with respect to any sort of trade that you make um so when you're looking at the market for every individual uh, someone wants to buy something and someone wants to sell something and because there is a coincidence of someone wanting to buy and someone wanting to sell at the same price um, that's that's when this trade does take place. So Keegan, bringing it back to what you were trying to point out, which is how does this market operate? Yeah, what's is, the purpose? Or, or the purpose. Uh, the, yeah, the, what the, is pur- the-, the purpose of engaging in a free market is so that we can all collectively arrive at a price. So if value is subjective, then how is one price arrived at? And it's arrived at dynamically. Every single second that a price of some, anytime a trade takes place, the price of something is updated. Right. And that's that's the purpose of a free market is because it's the most efficient system for integrating uh, the, the minds of every individual participating in price discovery. So the, the whole so you can kind of think of the free market or the open market as a supercomputer, as a collective representation of what we agree to be the price. And if you don't agree that the price of something is what it should be, if you think it's higher than it should be, sell it. You'll make money. You can test your hypothesis. If you think something is lower than it should be, you can buy it. But it's not as uh, when when you said you test your hypothesis. I I think the problem here is that it's not as objective or entirely objective as testing a hypothesis in 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 a slightly different example would be. Right, because the only data point available to you is the price, but you don't know the all the other data points in the world that affect the price, which makes right. trading so damn difficult. Yeah, and also. Any price, buying or selling, it is probabilistic event. It is not any fixed event because the way when I'm selling one share for X amount and that same share is purchased by another person for the same amount, then number of people we are, means number of people are on the board are really, means that quantity is really, really large. So probabilistic chances are getting closer and closer. So that's why buying and selling equation is get matched. And that's why trading is happening the way I'm thinking. Maybe there is a... No, I think there's some credence in what you're saying, because it's a collective phenomenon with a large number of people involved. It's non-deterministic in essential. It's inherently non-deterministic. So there's there's the, the unpredictability is inherent in the system because we are trying to... We're talking about lots of unknown data points Mm -hmm. giving an observable known but causally connecting it to one thing is 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 impossible because there's no one thing there are multiple things but there is some kind of a collapse wave Wave function function, sort of thing (laughs) happening yes which which creates an uncertainty just because you know all this language that we're using is, is basically ambiguous in in explaining what market behavior is like if i ask the question of you know all the billions of neurons that are right now operating in your brain to 
to kind of predict what you're going to say next it's, it's it would completely change the the notion of free will and, and oh and, so the very fact that you asked the question would change mm-hmm. my like whatever i was previously going to say right, next. right right and and you knowing that output would change how your neurons are going to kind of respond to it so there's so. definitely that woven into markets yeah yeah i mean it we're is. talking about billions of billions of people with neurons with, with billions trillions of, of their own yeah. neurons and almost yeah. it gets connected to quantum physics just like observer changes mm. reality mm. so whenever you are observing something you are changing that observation itself because you have observed it so it is it comes to really really uh, sub atomic level as well how yeah, it is I mean, working if we start going there we would we would start recruiting this would people start to, be a, to be a quantum <laughs> physics podcast and- Use quantum physics to change your world. <laughs> Some new age movement could probably be dovetailed from there. But these are, I think, these are very fascinating dimensions of the questions we are asking. I mean, blockchain-based currency, the history of Bitcoin are extremely interesting examples that are happening in the backdrop of all of human activity that is becoming more and more approachable to at least study from the perspective of social sciences, from the perspective of data sciences from the perspective of anthropology from the perspective of collective psychology um and and the the weird thing is like what we were talking about earlier since everything is changing every day we are not talking about static systems that our ancestors have lived in you know, like there could be a lot of prediction in just understanding the seasons and the day uh, and you know all of that you could predict a lot of how your life is going to be for your entire lifetime there's no way we can do that even for the next few days and then when we consider this current situation with the pandemic one tiny virus has completely thrown off all the systems Humanity. the medical system the education system the economics the healthcare the political system the sociological system the entire species again your com- computational an- analogy is really really apt over here it's like a virus that has been that has infected a system that was running and chugging along nicely for a long time and boom it has completely altered the system's behavior and yes there were plagues in the past but they did not happen in an interconnected in digital age digital age where information is traveling at the speed of light right on very <laughs> fascinating question seriously existential risk is a is a big big kind of question in in what we're talking about and again this is not these are not paranoid um um views to take it it literally is important for us to become aware of what we are um what we are not even who we are what we are because that is the basic question <laughs> I like it. We're going to take a quick 2 minute break over here because we're all thirsty and uh, all of our glasses are uh, have been empty. Yes. Emptied over the past hour. All right, we're back from this water break. Wow, we got really thirsty. It's also very hot and humid here, so Yeah, we're going yes. through a heat wave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Heat waves breaking tomorrow. Everyone listening from India will laugh at us. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> the heat wave of we are talking positive about heat 24 wave. with the humidex of like 28 is just unbearable. No, but in reality, it's like 31 It's much hotter degrees. than that. I know. I just tried to exaggerate. Make myself. That was your exaggeration. Sound, sound like I can't handle heat. Yep. <laughs> you can't. I know. It works. <laughs> it's relative. 
Yeah. All right. So, Keegan, you wanted to bring it back to Satoshi? I did. Actually, like more so to... Um, or bring like, it to Satoshi. Bring it to Satoshi. Let's start a new thread. Uh, but it's also like I heard Anker say something early, much earlier on in the podcast about uh, like whether or not Bitcoin is unique and if, if so, and in what way is it unique? And I want to introduce the idea of path dependence. And that is that the, this Bitcoin is unique because uh, it is the only cryptocurrency to be able to take the path it took now and forever. No other cryptocurrency will take the same path as Bitcoin. So the path that it took is that it emerged directly after a global financial crisis and with a mysterious founder that later disappeared and also was treated as a joke for the first two, three years of its existence and still to this day by a lot of people. Uh, it's the first cryptocurrency and for the, for, for the first two years, it was the only one. So all other cryptocurrencies that will ever be created henceforth will not be the only cryptocurrency to have ever existed. Bitcoin is the only one to ever have and hold that title. And so that is essentially the uh, the virtue upon which its uniqueness stands. And it's irrefutable, just as a, as a known fact. You can debate whether or not it's important for the value proposition of Bitcoin in general. But that, I mean, it, it just is. That's Those are facts about Bitcoin. And uh, so like path dependence. Can we think about what else <laughs> has path dependence and like try to figure out whether or not... Um, because Bitcoin has took a unique path dependent journey to where it is today, uh, are we able to attribute value to that in any way, shape, oh, or that's, form? That's a very interesting question because let's take music, for example, mm. right? I mean, rock and roll evolved from, a lot of it evolved from blues. And uh, music's actually a great example of path dependence. I had never considered, but immediately recognized as being... Or, or you think about classical music that yeah. preceded, you know, the later genres of music. I think about the value of classical music right now. Uh, Exponentially past, higher than it was. <laughs> well, well, no, it's interesting. So I was surprised when I, I looked at this that classical music was the music that was played in the, you know, these royal courts where the musicians would come and then, you know, the performance of their classical piece was something that was privileged. Ordinary people who were outside or below the that class would not have the privilege to kind of get into the classical music. Today, classical music is trivial in the sense that it would, you would find it in the background of a lot of... Elevators. Elevators. <laughs> I mean, not <laughs> necessarily elevators, them. but... but, uh, but yeah, yeah like, reversing the car, especially in India. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be considered... <laughs> It would be considered like a special thing to go to a classical musical music concert because you're a connoisseur uh, of that kind of music and you like it as a specialization. But it's no more that kind of ultra privileged kind of a thing that that you know most of the later parts of Western music kind of evolved from. And I wouldn't say that they evolved from either. I mean, th there there's these forks that keep taking place. So. That's one way of looking at path dependence. Um, in, in even terms of uh, at first, when music started, even blues started with black people, black people in the prison who started breaking this big stone, and that sound created blues. That blues yeah. And blues came from that background. So it is just goes back and back really, really 
in the history actually and then there you start as a musical yeah. expression of oppression yeah mm. Path dependence yeah, yeah so like special bands that we all love uh like the social conditions for which those uh, like had to be just right just steeped just right for the beatles to have the impact that they did mm-hmm. and pink floyd to have the the impact that they did they wouldn't uh, like if something different were had had been going on in the world at those times those songs wouldn't have resonated with uh with the people at the same time also those artists might not have felt compelled to write the same songs. Yeah, that right. time and space is really, really important where it seeds and where from it grows. And there are a lot of examples of yeah. what started at a particular time um, didn't gain the value when yeah. it was existing. So, you know, paintings of Van Gogh, for example, or Leonardo da Vinci's art, it never gave him that value that we give him today in his lifetime uh it's something that accumulated across you know decades monet's paintings we, we like we revere them they were completely dismissed when they were first released or they're blasphemous weren't they like, what the hell this is this is this is ridiculous we can't even make you know head nor tail out of it or or people who are the critics and the voices of value of art during those times so do you know what's funny is that t- today bitcoin is is that to most people it's right right blasphemous most, <laughs> most people yeah to most people out there <laughs> all no. these people i want to see them <laughs> i want to see these are they most the same, people too are they the same most people or are they different kinds of most people i use that expression so often but like, do. there are two different most kind of people Look, i'm referring to the fact that only two percent of people in the world have cryptocurrency okay i'm speaking about the 98 percent of people who haven't boarded the crypto train yet and uh, that's what I mean by most people. They're like, this is, <laughs> right? They're the ones that aren't recognizing that Monet's paintings are here on Earth right now. I mean, there's a lot of valorization going on over here, uh, but, but yeah, I, I, I get it. There yeah, are some yeah, people yeah, totally. today, you will see there are so many people. Some they people? Are, some people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there are some way of people. Most people. Not most people, some people, <laughs> because group of people will not believe on any kind of art at all. Oh yeah, that's so true. they will not value if that is a Mona Lisa painting or it is a created by Rothko or anyone. It is just like I don't value art. Yeah, particularly if it was Rothko. Yeah, so, like, what the hell is this? Yeah, I don't want to see just big paintings with just two colors on it. I can do it in my home. So there are different approaches people can take up towards art or That's any true. kind of a thing. And then you so, put invisible sculptures in that. Yeah, <laughs> and they sell. <laughs> and a banana on a you know duct taped on a wall, standing in front. So yeah, I mean we 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 are a strange species. We've created a strange world, and we live in that world. So all of these strange things about ourselves, that is what is really super interesting, according to. Most people, <laughs> according to me, I would say, but yeah, like, like it's, it's, um, so, so when we talk about money and we talk about computational technologies that run currency and value and tokenization of, you know, things, it's, it's, these are fabulous phenomena that are anchored in something much more fundamental about our existential situation as this, this form of life floating on this pale blue dot that is the only living thing that we know in this vast expanse of the universe which which is like really really a question worth pondering and then everything from that point of view starts having its own special value i i do think that aliens exist 
Um, yeah, go, me too. But yeah, maybe they <laughs> maybe outside from this pale blue dot that maybe we have. they're hiding in the human species, and yeah. they're forgotten. That's, <laughs> That's why we are so different from all other forms of life. And we don't know what we are doing. Yeah. <laughs> we are like an alien anything. that is like just yeah, just just caught in this meat. And, 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 and trying to resolve our what melodrama. And, yeah. and then there's Bitcoin. And then yeah. there's Bitcoin, yeah. Some some anonymous person. Uh, I, I feel that the anonymity of of Satoshi Nakamoto. So, I, and I don't know much about this, but what is the analysis behind it? Like, what are the various speculations of why this was done? Was it? I mean, one of one of the ideas that I was toying with is: is it because that anonymity would actually validate this decentralized? Hmm. Uh, you know, autonomous kind of a, a currency mechanism, or am I just like shooting in the dark way? No, I think that the validation, it, it certainly validates it for a number of people because trust is uh, one of the, uh, the, the purposes or removing trust from a financial system or the need to trust is huge. And every other cryptocurrency project has a founder um, that is known, their identity is known. And so the fact that we don't know Satoshi's identity and like compounded on top of that they haven't been on this earth for the last 10 years as far as we can tell uh, like no messages have, have come from their account and they have not touched their bitcoin address so for uh, all the evidence as it currently sits points to the fact that this person was here for two years <laughs> three ish and they left us with this strange form of money and then they're gone somehow and for me that that's extremely validating because it completely removes uh, that central point of failure or we don't know much about satoshi they're not mark zuckerberg and they're How's not that a central point of failure though uh because if if that person had if the founder can be attacked socially if you can attack that that founder's values and po poke holes in them as a person you're actually simultaneously poking holes in the thing that they've created mm -hmm. so if we can poke holes in mark zuckerberg or or donald trump then like anything uh, attached to those people suddenly get infected with with the kind of people that they are like we don't and what they have produced yeah exactly and vice versa so if we didn't like facebook we don't like mark and we don't like mark then we don't like facebook who's we I I just speak like the proverbial <laughs> we yeah most people yeah and if so if we don't like America it's Donald Trump's fault and if we don't like Donald Trump then whatever happens to America is Donald Trump's fault right and that's it's just an inherent thing about our our psychology again like we we connect these things on our head but Satoshi is this void this anomalous void and the only kind of historical analogy that I can think of is is messianic occurrences so uh may that be jesus or the prophet muhammad or um i think it's thoth in egyptian mythology you know what i'm thinking of when you're talking about this i'm thinking of 2001 a space odyssey and the monolith, the monolith. that just comes in that that's yeah. so satoshi seems like a monolith which also makes the fact that we don't know whether or not they are for sure not interested or perhaps have um you know graduated on to do other things or have died 
uh, or you know have decided to participate not to participate and um can you imagine what kind of a decision that would be to like you have to make that decision well, if it was on three, an ongoing basis it was, if it was three years yeah i mean if they are still alive then that is true that's a very difficult decision and then you know maybe when the when the, the three-year mark when they did decide to not participate in online forums anymore and uh, decide that they're never going to touch the um, the Bitcoin that they have, they would burn their private keys and they burn their uh, secret phrase um, and, you know, lose permanently access to their Bitcoin. But that also makes it the fact that we don't know whether or not they are off the face of the Internet and the world for sure. It, it threatens Bitcoin, I would say, because if, if they were to return, mm. then that would cause that, that would, would be, be massive it would yeah. be okay I think the science fiction <laughs> it is sci-fi like everything about what we're talking about has this undeniable sci-fi flavor to yeah. it so we're kind of taking it for granted that we don't know who satoshi nakamoto is and we don't know when they are going to become present again on the world stage and we we are just taking for granted that they have opted to not say anything for all of these years. But that's kind of like a, a wild card, which if it were to, um, you know, come out tomorrow or be played tomorrow, that would that would be, I can't say, I don't know if I can say that would be it, but that would certainly cause some sort of impact on the entire Bitcoin and cryptocurrency market. That'd be the highlight of my decade. For sure. Your decade? My decade, whatever my decade. I'm just calling it right now. That'd be See, number like one. like we'd need to scramble, Keegan, since <laughs> over 90% of our portfolio is uh, Everything we're talking about is like literally initiated, what, in 2009? Yeah, to that January 3rd, 2009. Yeah. Right. So we, we're talking about something that is literally happened just a little over a decade. Yeah. On the scale of the universe, you know, when they compare, you know, how, how recent life started on planet and then how recently human beings started walking and how recently modern human beings started walking and how recently the past 20 decades have been uh, 20 years have been in this context we're talking about something that is like happening right now and we're trying to comprehend it on that scale of complexity so it's it's really cryptic i still don't think no pun intended right (laughs) it's it's very cryptic everything about it and so in a lot of ways it's justified when outsiders approach this entire field of of cryptocurrency uh they're like it's it's it appears strange and the even evangelical aspect of it also appear uh very um uh, i don't know they're looked looked upon by with suspicion and stuff like that because it's just so counterintuitive and um well it should be it should be looked upon with suspicion yeah, for sure. yeah. I, I, it's justified i think it is it's justified that it is like that but there are also these other very valid reasons for why so um yeah i mean as a phenomenon it's, it's super interesting if nothing else i mean i know you guys have talked about this that let's say the whole thing just the whole project of cryptocurrency just fails the important question would be what does that say about us what did we learn in the process, yeah, if did, anything? What did we learn? And and these are still very valid, interesting questions to think about. I'm sure economists and social scientists do consider all these things who are like evaluating, you know, things like cryptocurrency in the context of their research problems. So if all of cryptocurrency were to fail today, it would be something like a $2.5 trillion experiment. It would be the most expensive experiment to ever have failed, which is another way of saying that nothing of this size and caliber has ever failed before on a global scale on a global scale where so, everybody's well not everybody well how much is the u.s debt 
decentralized participation. The, the de- so I, it's like trillions. According of to Robert Breedlove, which I was listening, and Robert and uh, Booth, Jeff Booth, I was listening to them on a podcast earlier today, and they were saying that if you totaled all the value of all the things in the world, it's four hundred trillion. And the U.S. debt, I'm not sure how much that is, but... Uh, but the global debt is maybe 400 trillion. Maybe they have trillion. left to keeping count of it. Well, 400 trillion is a very expensive uh, <laughs> uh, experiment on a human scale. I mean, think about that. I mean, right, and I happen to hold the belief that that will fail in, in one way, form or another because in our lifetime. Do you think that failing is to your advantage, which is why you choose to believe it? Uh, no, I, I think that the facts are, are I, I believed that it was going to fail before I believed that, that before my, it was in my interest to believe in Bitcoin, actually. Be, like I started, so in 2008, saw the crash, yada, yada, yada. 2012, like 2013, I really didn't know about Bitcoin. I, I really stumbled upon it in like 2013, 2014. And I, I did make a decision about the, like the current financial system with the help of Ron Paul. Do you guys know Ron Paul? He's a libertarian politician mm-hmm. in the United States. He's an old guy. Love him. And he was uh, talking about auditing the Fed. And he was talking about going back on the gold standard and, and money printing and how that's detrimental. And I was like, okay, cool. This guy's actually making sense. He's a, Which is crazy. This politician is making sense to me. <laughs> um, and then I discovered Bitcoin. And it actually wasn't until like 2018, 2019, 2020 when I learned and formed the philosophy that Bitcoin, I think is the fix it is like before it was just like cool i can maybe get get rich off of this um but after it was like okay this actually fixes straight up just repairs the detriment that has been done to uh to our financial system i'm not sure where we started no um Mm. i think i was following your line on 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 the failure of experiments that were you know very expensive right expensive experiments yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's ask some questions about NFTs and then we'll we'll wrap up. I mean, yeah. I, well, NFTs whenever the topic of NFTs come up, come you know comes up, I think what really made a splash was people <laughs> yeah. you know selling that that huge uh, uh, the collage hmm. for what like 69 million 69 million dollars, right? and instantaneously becoming a sensation in the digital art world. Do you think that because, well, actually, first off, would you say you both are Bitcoiners? Yes, we hold Bitcoin. We, yeah, we, we hold Bitcoin. Whole coin Bitcoin. for sure, but teeny tiny part of it. Some Satoshis, yeah. <laughs> yeah, some Satoshis, I would say. But do you agree with the philosophy? No, so that's the thing. I, I cannot agree with it in the sense that I would call myself, you know, a convert or, yeah. or you know, because I don't even believe in fiat, let alone, you know, like mm-hmm. I have big problems with, with lots of the systems that that run the world. So I don't think I'm a convert to any of these things. I think I'm a perpetual skeptic and I'm, I'm, I'm just curious and I want to understand and I want to, you, you can't understand something without participating in it to at least some extent. Right on. Um, so there is definitely a return to, let's say, I mean, if, if I have to look at it as an investment, a calculated investment would be definitely, you know, it's a, it's a good chance to take, just like, you know, buying stocks in, um, you know, Facebook uh, in, in 2005 would have been an investment. So, um, 
The reason I asked that question yeah. is because there's um, a camp where of people that believe that if you believe in Bitcoin and its philosophies, then you shall not participate in one any other cryptocurrency and yeah, is two, especially curious. NFTs. Okay, yeah. cool. Because I mean, that's uh, I think that's just a very different sort of mindset, mm -hmm. and yes, I don't think sure. any of us um, prescribe to that sort of mindset. So, taking it to NFTs, what has been your experience? with the entire nft scene it's not as easy as it sounded when okay. we decided to experiment with it okay. because of all the reasons that you cited a while ago um it opens up the space for everyone right so um again we're curious let's see maybe it's too soon to say how that is going to turn into some kind of a uh, you know lucrative investment uh, but it would be nice to watch the space and see and and then come back to this conversation when there's some kind of a moment of vindication. Mm -hmm. And if not, then what's new? I mean, so many things in life are like that. But how do you perceive a non-fungible token on the internet that is supposed to be a unique representation on the internet of whatever it is representing? I feel that it is more uh, faithful to the, the value evaluation, right? I mean... Our art floating on the internet without it being tagged on a blockchain makes it less secure in some ways, right? I mean, it, it can be copied, it can be without attribution sold, it can be... It can still be, I mean, I mean, I've, you know... I think uh, what NFT does, and I think still it is your belief, it gives you some kind of identity on internet, but definitely... On internet, you can go to a website and just copy that. Get take a screenshot of any uh, art and just enhance its pixel. And means you can you can do anything with just copying anybody's art. But through NFT, what has happened? It you um, digital has a uh, digital art has validated through people as well. Because it has given some kind of a identity to that picture, some kind of a token number or some kind of a series number to that picture, where that series has some value, which is totally connected with that picture and picture itself has some value because it is created by putting some effort, putting some concept by artist, uh, by artist philosophy. So art and there is a, some layer of technology is there. So it has created a unique a position for any particular picture who, who, is, who has NFT number or token. So I do feel that is a one, one more way to experiment with your art. So I, I love that you guys have just been exploring the concept of identity within the blockchain space because uh, it's I don't think it's very well understood. And identity in general is an ongoing, strange kind of concept, especially in our day and age when privacy is such a concern. Uh, but Amrita, what you just said is that like what an NFT helps you do is establish an identity on the Internet. And that's something that I actually didn't really consider in, in the same way as how you just allowed me to conceptualize it. Uh, your address, like your cryptocurrency address, whether you're minting NFTs on Binance Smart Chain or Ethereum or Crypto.com or whatever, you 
have to attribute an address or your your identity or some identity like you as an artist this is me this is the kind of art that i i create and it's now permanently attached to to that address you can either attach your name or be pseudo anonymous or completely anonymous right and that over time that address starts to form a community around it a uh, a following and that address is like the fact that the NFTs came from that address is almost more valuable than the NFTs themselves. So there is this need for NFT artists to be perpetually creating and posting or um, minting from that that address because it uh, their art in aggregate is worth more than just a, a single address with a single NFT on it, right? That who knows if that artist is legit, right? But when you have a hundred different pieces of art on that same address suddenly uh oh this who, who is this person maybe i'll put a little thought into this and that's just not something that i considered before and uh that's that's cool thank you <laughs> yeah i think it's a cool application for sure and uh, for nft definitely you guys help us to create those nft i definitely do believe it should be more easier the person who is not technically sound he or she should can go ahead and take participation in it. Means that there, there are some, I think, I know there are some uh, website or there are some company, they are doing that. But I do feel it should be more accessible as well as uh, understandable as well, because there is a really big gap between uh, how, what it is exactly and how you convince other person who is going to purchase it or you can just trying to explain to your friend as well it is kind of a hard concept so still i think we are getting used to it how to explain it how to explore it or maybe purchase it <laughs> or even understand it yeah <laughs> yeah I've, that might even take a decade since <laughs> everything in order once something is innovated upon it takes a couple of years, sometimes decades, in order for that to take off. So, if printing press is a great example of yes. how yeah. long it took for it to actually have an impact. The guy that invented it didn't get to see, yeah, even close to the impact. It was wasn't he like uh, ostracized? Yeah, Gutenberg yeah. put in jail or something, or for inventing it. And then it was later on that they're like, "Hey, this thing is kind of useful." <laughs> how dare he create an ability to distribute information on a wide yeah. scale? Yeah, you know. <laughs> Sounds very strange in these times. <laughs> That's true. And now, well, I mean, the printing press, everything had a has a lifespan. I think, at least on this planet, right? Yeah. And uh, I think that if we are trying to prolong something's life, the, the life of something, even if it is created in industrial sense it's like taking on debt for that particular system that you know is outdated and has been for such a long time so i think that that's what we're seeing with the fiat monetary system and, and the fact that we've taken for granted that we can be the arbiters of the creation of money and the distribution of money and the the people that are not we as people, but the arbiters of the creation of this money can take it upon themselves to make sure that everybody under them is also following the same belief that they want them to in order to control them. So I think that we're definitely going through a cycle of um, um, cycle of life for fiat currency. And at some point, it has to come to an end because it isn't sustainable. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you're right. Evaluation as well, what it is. 
valuation. Re evaluation. Mm. Yeah, totally. It's it's. Uh, I, I've often thought of the modern world to be a situation where we are we have this advanced software, and software in this case means all new ideas and new ways of looking at things. But we are trying to install it on extremely old hardware. You mean human software? Yeah, human software. Like Every, the yeah. software that runs our brains. Yeah. Not software that runs our computers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. So, so it's an analogy that if you if you have a really advanced software that you're trying to install on like a computer that was made in 1980s, it's not going to run. It does not have the operating system for that. Try, try updating an iPhone 4 with today's iOS. Yeah, I mean, yeah <laughs> like exactly. It's not even exactly. That, 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 that is precisely the kind of situation we are in. And so if we expect everything to evolve, technology, art, science, why not money? Right? I mean, why... Perhaps, I mean, there is it, there is some validation for all the people who have the conspiratorial, you know, view on, uh, on, on, on things. But maybe it's justified that the people who have a lot of it and who wield its power in, you know, in an unfair way, probably ha it's in their interest to kind of control the system. And, and that seems to be the most obvious one. And it's not okay. that we are kind of bad-mouthing a part of humanity. It's we are well-known throughout history to let our avarice and greed uh, for power I kind of take it's over. I irresistible. It's irresistible, yeah. Power goes, the power corrupts and more power corrupts more. Well, and it, the kind of power that, that uh, being in control of the money supply is, is it, it's an absolute power. You get to, like, back to our earlier conversation, you get to decide what monetary operating system the whole world works on. <laughs> right. People who have a lot of money and who misuse it. I'm not talking about all, but the the sect of society, the people who have a lot of access to money are always tempted to use it to break all kinds of rules. In India, we are used to having a corrupt system where you can pay yourself out of anything. If you have enough of it, and in fact, I, I mean, India is just like I'm being a specific, giving a specific example. But all over, all over the world, you can buy yourself out of anything if you have enough money. They say, well, you know, in, in movies, this is a very commonly thrown line that, well, if there's enough money, I can make you change your mind. Mm. Um, all kinds mm -hmm. of indecent Name proposals are are yeah. made based on that, right? So, uh, the power of money and power of infinite money is is definitely corruptible. So I feel that. Having some kind of a computational mechanism to keep a check on it is actually a smart way of dealing with it. For now. Yeah, well, for now, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for now, definitely. Yeah, yeah, because, you, you, I mean, anything can be hacked into and corrupted. You know, like, just a brief detour into artificial intelligence, but we, we keep having this paranoia that if we hand over all these important aspects of our life to artificial intelligence, uh, we will create the kind of Skynet, like a you know future in which machines will revolt against us, and maybe that's that probably is something to worry about. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to money, I feel that it is actually justified to not have human beings be in charge of it. It's because AI is an actor, and money's a tool. Right. right? I mean, money doesn't act. Right. On uh, it doesn't have the capacity to act on its own accord. Right. Whereas there's a a future where we can conceive of wherein the AIs that we create will have the ability to act on whatever their own accord might be. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, you're, like, you're right. I mean, this is a whole new can of worms because artificial <laughs> intelligence itself is like a you know, big philosophical question. 
on who programs it and what kind of biases it inculcates. It's not an objective, uh, yeah, non-human, uh, uh, you know, thing. There's definitely human component to it. But let's say trusting something to computers, like if I wanted, if I want to tune my instrument, <laughs> I would trust the electronic tuner hands down, unless I'm suspecting that someone has hacked with its programming or something's wrong with it. But if I want to make my instrument perform well, I will use an electronic instrument to get the accuracy. So so let's let's carry this analogy. An analog tuner, you trust a digital um, a digital tuner more than an analog tuner. Wow. I, I was actually going to say the opposite. I was going to oppose you because every time I tune my violin, I used to use the digital uh, tuner before but it i guess it was too sensitive because it would just the dial would uh yeah it would, go, it would go back and forth and i wouldn't know what it wanted like if it with my oh, i was comparing head. it with like tuning by ear you know yeah so a tuning fork well you still not, have to not compare. tuning fork like like if you're, you know some people can tune the guitar just by having a sensitivity of oh, this is e this is and then they, they just like basically without using any analog or any such thing so if i have to do that i cannot do that i mean Maybe I'm tone deaf in that sense, but I cannot, you know, I don't have any confidence if I try to, you know, like this sounds garbage. But for me, so it's, I mean, let's not take the analogy to, uh, to, uh, to literally over here. What I just mean by this is that, that machines and computers and mathematics has value when it comes to accuracy and, I was just gonna, and objective, yeah. uh, objectivity. Because precision, yeah, precision. Right. So we, we, digital things are precise, right? Digital and clocks are way more precise than analog clocks, right? So from that vantage point, we should base our economics on a computational framework rather than a framework that is run by the whims and desires of human beings who could be easily corrupted. So instead of that, if we have a more objective mechanism to run monetary systems, perhaps we might expect fairness. I, 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 I want to give the benefit of the doubt to the people running our monetary systems, and I, I want to assume that they don't have any malintent. And, but that's naive, don't you think? Uh, well, the reason why it might be naive, but I, I don't think it matters. So the reason why I want to give them the benefit of the doubt is because I want to point out that I think that no matter how hard they try to do the best job that they can, they could not. They could never do as perfect or as near perfect as a job as as an autonomous um, computational system given the same job, and that that's what that's what Bitcoin is. So, like, I I don't fault the human for um, all of their potential flaws. I I think that they do have flaws. Uh, built within them simply on because they're human and that makes them unqualified to run the financial system because in every single <laughs> in every single society where it because this is the first time that we've ever had a money run by computers mm -hmm. in every system that's come before this it's been a money system run by by humans and it has without fail in every single situation been corrupted by whoever has the power and it's been centralized over time and then corrupted and this is the first time we have the ability to not have that happen yeah corrupt in different ways though because yeah. again bitcoin is still a tool like money is a tool everything is a tool and it depends on how you use it absolutely yeah there was something that you said uh Me? that no anchor that you said that i wanted to bring out but it totally slips my mind right now <laughs> But maybe it'll come back in a second. 
this whole thing about decentralized networks and centralization, I feel that from a really large point of view, everything's decentralized. Everything. Like centralization, like true centralization is one node and everything else connected to that node. But really, it's hard to imagine an example of something that is truly centralized. Yeah, well, like civilization now in general is decentralized. Yeah. We have a bunch of centralized hubs that make up a decentralized right. civilization. And the centralized hubs are really what we need to really pay attention to because some of them have a functional role to serve and some of these are malfunctional because they serve uh, a counterproductive yeah. role. And, and, and I want to draw the comparison with cancer biology, but not, not the biology of cancer, but the genomics of biology. So when we, when we study biological phenomena we abstract all the signaling forms of networks and for our listeners Unker is a biologist so he's yeah. totally he has qualified a PhD in toxicology to uh to, to speak on this topic well, <laughs> <laughs> so so when we analyze networks we see hubs where there's a lot of connectivity and if you knock out that hub you don't see something happening so for example for a kidney to exist in a mammal there is a gene called GDNF, which, which is a hub in this, this network of signals that makes a kidney come into existence. If this gene is knocked out, the animal doesn't have a kidney, and obviously the animal is embryonically lethal. So if you do this knockdown experiment, you will get dead pups. Dead animals, yeah. Right? So this is a functional, evolutionarily functional gene that is a hub. And it's connected to all other kinds of networks, and somewhere there's another hub that is connected to it. Now, when cancer biology is, is evaluated, what is generally noticed is that there are all kinds of weird hubs that start popping up or signaling mechanisms are deregulated to the, to the point where there's no balance between dividing cells and dying cells. And so you start seeing a mass of cells usurping all the energy resources from all the healthy tissue, and that's what metastasizes into a system breakdown, which is, you know, that's a different kind of, you know, you're not knocking down anything. You just have a disequilibrium in the system. I've always thought capitalism-based machineries where corruption of, of systems is taking place because of money and disequilibrium in money distribution is kind of like that. And it's not a, a the more I think about it, I, I feel it's a fair, fair analogy to compare, you know, uncontrolled growth for the sake of growth as just a just a weird kind of amorphous tumor um, you know that is forming in, in so so which is why i feel that computational checkpoints might be good tools to to kind of you know address that but again i mean regardless of all the the background that you just emphasize from where i come i might be talking out of my ass over here but um, it it's just it just feels always that you know this equilibrium and usurping power and resources from everything healthy around you is, is, is basically growth for the sake of growth, which is the philosophy of cancer. I don't know how to respond to that. It's a very dark <laughs> and, and uh, yeah. Not necessarily dark. I think that um, it was just um, hard to imagine, at least for me. Oh, I, I think it's really easy to imagine. Like Wall Street essentially can be... Uh, roughly analogized to that kind of cancer, not uh, like forget what you think about Wall Street on an individual level. It is just 
a centralized point where where like the world recognizes that the majority of wealth lives there that's why you had occupy wall street that's why you had people from all over america lose who lost their homes aggregate or congregate sorry at wall street to protest this they went there <laughs> they're kind of like the immune system of, of sorts in, in a way or, or at least they they started out that way and they went to the source where they determined was the point of, uh, of of the resource consumption and money does absolutely denote who has it so money is a claim over who has over resources or money is a claim over assets money is a claim over goods money is a claim over services right you can trade money for goods services assets whatever you want that's the function of money and so when money congregates in one spot let's just say wall street then the analogy totally holds true and you can like okay yeah that is where all the wealth is should all the wealth be right there or maybe do you think we should have more wealth building farms and uh, i i have to disagree with some of the statements okay. that you're making here keen because whenever you say something like should all of the wealth be accumulated at wall street mm -hmm. uh, i take <laughs> you're saying all of the wealth what do you mean by all of i don't the wealth? i don't mean 100 like, percent of the wealth I, but sometimes in order to drive a point i think that um some points are too biased to make your argument seem true when in reality i'm admittedly may confla not be. conflating the argument here like i don't mean a, so <laughs> it is literally 90 of the wealth though like of america if you uh, of America, but when you say all of the wealth, are you you're not being specific enough to say all of the wealth of America, or because you know, to me, I was thinking, do you mean all of the wealth of the world is accumulated on Wall Street? Wall Street, because that seems not true. No, it's not true. Yeah, that's that's not what I was saying either. <laughs> but but like I guess speaking um, strictly from the point of view of understanding the analogy that you were trying to draw. Uh, being aware of the biases that you already hold uh, in order to drive that point forward. I do understand what you mean. Radical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I had a question and um, I'd like us to sort of um, talk about this in order to wrap up this particular episode. And that is in the very beginning, you talked about how Goful Crypto was something that uh, is... A, a distant, perhaps not even reality for the both of you. And I want to ask you, what would need to change for you to lose complete faith in fiat, where you take it upon yourself to put all of your money in crypto and live off of crypto? I think people when start getting paid in cryptocurrency, then system will change automatically. We don't have to adapt with it. That's an right. excellent answer. That is a really great answer. So in order to, I guess, for one of the important or priority factors that would need to take place is if you got paid in crypto, there's no reason why you'd hold fiat. We just need currency means not we as a we. Almost everyone needs some kind of currency to transact. And if everyone is using the same kind of a currency, then it does not matter if it is Bitcoin, if it is Ethereum, if it is Cardano, whatever it is. Right, and you spoke earlier about optionality and being choice, able to give yeah. a choice on what you want to use to transact. That's awesome. Cool. So if you got paid in crypto, you'd go for crypto? Yeah, that, there is an alternative. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if the world starts going full crypto, then, then 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be silly to choice is already to kind made for you. That, That's right? true. Yeah, yeah, I see. Yeah. Which is which is what is you know the the hope of the cryptoverse, right? To to basically transform that paradigm in that level, or at least the way I understand it. Yeah, I, I think so. I wouldn't say that's the hope of the cryptoverse. It's more so a freedom of choice of money as one of the answers. But I wouldn't say the hope is to convert into a world of of uh, transacting only in crypto. Would you share the same answer? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Yeah, 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 definitely. If if my life is going to be more valuable in in the sense that this currency is making it easier for me to buy the things that I want, is giving me financial freedom, and um, I'm being paid in it, um, then, yeah, I mean, that that I, why would I hold uh, an outdated currency? You know what? <laughs> that makes complete sense. Keegan, no wonder it was easy for us to go full crypto. Yeah. We just pay ourselves. Yeah, we pay ourselves, and our company has Bitcoin. And yeah, we just converted all of our money in Bitcoin, and, yeah, and we have clients that pay us in crypto as well. <laughs> So that's easy for us. Yeah, and what happens means right now also if you want to use cryptocurrency, then there are so many stages I have to go through. Okay, I have a wallet, I have a transition, transfer money from bank to that wallet, then buy it. So there are so many stages I have to go through and mm. then I still think about, okay, what is the good amount and what is the stock, means what is the... Mm, what price of bitcoin when should i buy when should i sell so there are so many thinking factors comes into the picture if i want to do a, a, if i want to transit into bitcoin or any cryptocurrency but if system has changed and i don't have to if i am able to avoid all these stages why i would not choose it that that is a very well articulated amrita that makes a lot of sense i you know, sometimes I, I was riddled with the fact of, okay, Keegan, why is it that you and I are some of the only people who, <laughs> who've gone full crypto and converted all of our money? But you put it so succinctly, we get paid in crypto, so we don't actually have a problem. And yeah. your business is also cryptocurrency. Exactly. It is almost just like a full circle. So you don't have to go out of the loop and come back. But for a normal person, that is a going yeah, out, if I, if doing I tell my employer and pay, pay us in crypto, is, that will have, what? Why would I do that? Because they don't have crypto. They don't, yeah, they They're don't not have, getting paid yeah, in crypto. Yeah. That's so. so funny you're saying that. We're actually hosting a webinar with uh, DNS. This is only makes sense to people listening to Digital Nova Scotia. Scotia. Yeah. We're hosting a webinar titled Getting Paid in Crypto. Um, and I don't remember what the sub subtitle is, but that's taking place on the 28th of September. And it would be very interesting to raise that one point um, that you so succinctly stated there. <laughs> That's cool. Keegan, I have a question for you. Yeah. What would cause you to opt out of crypto? Uh, that's, that's <laughs> such a good question. I don't know if there... He, he, he would like to do farming. <laughs> I was thinking kind of extreme. Like, yeah. If you just then leave the whole world and go up and, you know, start your own food and, you know, detach from yeah, the world. Yeah, maybe cannabis farming will be the first objective for Keegan. <laughs> so you would, I would have to opt out of currency, honestly. Um, that's, that's one answer because... As long as I need a currency, I'm going to choose the one that I think best holds value for me into into time. The one that's easiest and best at at uh, moving value through time and space. That's the one I'm going to choose. Now, what would ha uh, the other thing? This is on the extreme side of things. <laughs> if we ever entered into a scenario where 
cryptocurrency became illegal. Somehow the government figured out how to shut down Bitcoin. Somehow all cryptocurrency networks were now off and completely inaccessible to me. Um, then I would be essentially opting out of cryptocurrency by force, not by own my own volition, but because I have no other choice. Uh, and then the third scenario was if there's a solar flare and uh, yeah. <laughs> or if, yeah. if the lights go off <laughs> and the internet gets turned off, then I would also I would opt out um, and uh, and not not I'd be, I'd be a farmer. Yeah. Right on. Good answer. Thanks. <laughs> you totally threw me off. I was like, no, nothing. <laughs> that is my business, Muga. How you can do that? Keegan is thinking. <laughs> We'd be so poor. If all of the cryptocurrency in the world turned off tomorrow? Only if you're talking in terms of monetary wealth. I am talking about in terms of monetary wealth. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's true for, like, any one of us. Like, if that monetary base just, like, collapses, then all of us are, like, destroyed in that sense. And then, yeah, I mean, then it's starting from scratch. Yeah, that would be a very interesting scenario that may or may not take place in the near future. Knock on wood. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us to this record was a pleasure, this yeah. podcast. Yeah. Where can people find you on social media? Amrita. Okay. So our website is www.monardarts.com. Can you spell that? M-O-N-A-D-A-R-T-S dot com. Okay. And we both are on Instagram. Um, my title, um, my handle is my whole name, Amruta Nyanmote. But if you search, we, we put that in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's important. If you can uh, just look for Monad Arts, M O N A D A R T S, then you will find it as well. Awesome. No hyphens, no underscores between Monad Arts. I think there's an underscore. Uh, that is, oh, there are three pages actually we have. One is uh, one, uh, two separate pages and one is for art where we are trying to post our both uh, art made by both of us. And that, is, that has hyphen. Uh, my page, uh, it is also Monar Arts, but without hyphen. And his handle is ANKUR440. Yeah, <laughs> we will definitely put all of that in. Yeah. Yes, sorry, it is kind of. Or you of, can get yeah. there from monadarts.com. Yeah, that all is the, the all the social media is tied to that. So you're on Twitter. You're active on Twitter too, though, Ankur, aren't you? That's uh, right. Somewhat. Yeah. 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 So what, how do how can Ankur people find go, you? Go at it. Ankur four four zero. Yeah. Ankur four four zero. Yeah. On and A N K U R. Yeah, A N K U R. Why four four forty? I, I know that number has stuck since the early days of the internet when I made my first email address because I on the when I was making it the guy said so what do you want your email address to be someone made your email address well right? yeah this was in college <laughs> when we were being introduced to what the internet is with Just- this Peace. So yeah, I'm, I'm really ancient over here. So so yeah. Out of curiosity, what year was that? This was ninety seven, maybe ninety six, ninety seven. It was four. 1997? Yeah. Wow. Number two. Yeah. So, it, and, and yeah, the internet was obviously older than that, but um, it was uh, very new in, wow. in India. Very and um, and we were aware of the internet first, but the at the college, we were supposed to make an email address. And so the, the guy <laughs> so was like, so what do you want? It's frequency of yeah. some note, isn't it? Well, yeah, that's, that's the story that I got afterwards, that 440 is the, the frequency of the A note. Yeah. And um, 440 is also the wavelength of the blue color. 
So, uh, so yeah, but that's, that's subconsciously. That's what you were thinking. Well, of. yeah, just to make lady. it, make, just to have a reason for it. So <laughs> now four, four, zero has some, some, of course there are purists about the four, four, zero frequency and they will say that that's garbage. And there's like four, four, four 12, isn't it? Yeah. Something like that. And then there's all that stuff about audio, audio files who talk about, they fight about the frequency numbers. Uh, I'm not part of that. That war. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I honestly cannot tell. But um, yeah. Also, Keegan has helped us to create NFTs, and which is on Bakery Swap. Yeah. Okay. Bakers. So hold on. He, he, Let me interject yeah, he, here. Okay. Yeah, he will, it's not uh, on Bakery Swap. We, it is, but we're like, if you want to go on Bakery Swap and find them, that's great. So here's what you need to know about Anker and Emrita's uh, NFTs. You go on MonadArts.com. Any piece of art that you see on that website uh, we will make it into an nft if it's not already an nft and we will help you buy it it's an exclusive piece of art on yeah the internet i suppose uh <laughs> on uh, minted out as an nft um only by us so you won't be able to get it anywhere else uh, right now we're selling on the crypto.org platform because we happen to like them but in order to buy them you'll have to contact Rigakshi and I at ready at gofullcrypto.com or you can contact Anker and Amrita at the social media channels that you just heard them from heard them say and uh, and say that hey I like this piece I want it and we can we can set that up we can arrange that cool. yeah thank you <laughs> all right there we go awesome thank you again for joining us thank, thank you. you so much this was wonderful and yeah. I think we, we look forward to doing this again at some point also, when the world will keep changing also there is a one short uh, note I would like to mention right now we are displaying our art at 7 Bay Cafe so this is true people from Halifax can definitely go and check it out to the yeah. end of August right. yeah. yeah it is going Halifax to end on 29 so <laughs> it is not that much time but still if anyone gets chance sounds good well thank you everyone for listening and uh, stay tuned thank you <laughs> thank you